It's time for Done Being Single with your hosts, Trevor and Robbie Scharf. If you're dating the same type over and over again, making the same mistakes and not finding love, then you're not done being single. What you need is some tough love dating intervention, Trevor and Robbie style. Whether you're new to dating or have been dating forever, we've got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Trevor and Robbie Sharp. Here's more applause. You want some more applause? Yeah. Well, you know, you, okay, it's a little more. Okay, that's, why you're not done? You need more than that? Don't we all need more applause? I don't know. I think some people do. I never get tired of it. Well, applause is a nice thing to it's hear. It's really nice. But it's, you give me applause you. in your own way. I mean, you don't give me like a standing ovation every no. night, but you do. And you give me the clap. No, so you, other than that, that's really great. So, no, I'm Actually, no, you bow down. I do bow down. That's better than applause. But applause is kind of important. People, you know, during a pandemic especially, there's not a lot of applause that people no. are receiving for whatever they do. No. And I really feel that this is, if there was ever a time for validation, approval, cheering on, support, rooting for, it's now. It's now. It is Everybody now. has to really congratulate each other. And, and pat each other on the back. You're doing a great job. Thank you. You are too. I mean, you really are. Everybody's doing a great job. It's not easy right now. No. It's just... But that's not our show. It's not? Well... Maybe it should be. It's a little bit. How do you get applause? How does one get applause? I think you have to be... Someone has to feel that you are deserving of putting two hands together for what you said, and that is somebody who is adhering to... And believing in you to the point where, oh my God, I love that. That I agree with that. That's yeah, a start. Right. That that it factor, that thing, that quality that makes you shine and and project. What is that? Not everybody has it. Correct. How do you get it? Can you buy it? Are you born with it? Can you develop it? Can you learn it? I think you can learn it. I think you can. But I will say this, that people, it's, it's very, um, it's innate. A lot of it is innate. Don't you think that? Probably. You I mean, don't you know people that just are like naturally charismatic and, and, and have this sort them. of essence and this energy yes. that's just sort of infectious and contagious? Yes. Right? They it's, just beam or they... It's something that... Uh, you, if you are attracted to or people are attracted to, you have a crowd around you. You're social. But it has nothing to do with attractiveness. I it's don't a, think. It's not a physical, not necessarily physical attractiveness. Right. It's just an attractiveness that people are, are magnetized to. Correct. I find that interesting. And our guest today is going to talk about it. Not necessarily, well, he didn't start off talking about dating. By the end of this show, he will be an expert in dating because we're going to make him an expert in dating <laughs> when well, it comes to... He might be an expert in dating. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, when I first learned about Sunil Gupta, who's our guest, I went, oh my God, this is a natural for us because it's, he wrote a book called Backable. And I, I really believe that the qualities that people look for when... Backing someone, investing in someone, supporting someone, right? Are the same qualities that, that 
you know, people look for when dating. Well, that, Am I wrong? I don't think so. I think there's overlap galore. There's so much of it applies. I think that you will appeal to those that uh, have uh, something that they're looking for that is appealing to them. So who knows what attractions... Je ne sais quoi. Okay. That's what it is. You don't know what it is. You don't it's, know it's what it is. It's this thing. It's an unspoken... Un- I mean, why, right? Why would you put your money behind a... Someone a startup. Uh, how? Do, what is it in that you person to, that you believe in them? Like I, and then how? It has. It's the person and the concept at that point. When it's an investment, you have to believe in what that person is pitching, selling. But you also have to believe in that person to carry through, the ability to see it through. Yes. So same applies to dating. A, I think so. So you're on the dating apps, right? Hmm. And you're scrolling, you're scrolling, you're scrolling, mm-hmm. and you're looking at this one, this one, this one, and you're going, hmm, that one looks good. This one looks good. I think I'll give this one a chance. Maybe I'll give that one a chance. And then you know, and then we, it it proceeds. But what is that thing? It's not really fair in dating apps because you only you. It's really it's so visceral, you know, right. it's so visual rather. It doesn't you get have to, to be. Once you get... It doesn't have to be visual. Well, okay, so have you ever... Okay. I, I think it's limiting. I, looks don't matter to me. Okay. Never have. That's I am why not you that... Per- me. No, I... Pff, are you kidding me? I'm not kidding I you. got the package with oh you, man. Oh, my God. Yes, you, and you got me, too. Oh, I'm sorry. Was that, was that a joke? <laughs> I'm sorry. I really did. Oh, thank you. I you, feel you the same are way. the total package. Oh, baby, you are too. Thank you. You're a total babe. Thanks. I mean, Thanks. My God. I thank really? you. Really? But, but let me ask you something. Would you have? What if you didn't see me? When? What if you just talked to me on the phone? And would you? I probably wouldn't have seen you. <laughs> okay, that's because how would I? You know, how, how does that work? That's how you. Why would I have talked to you on the phone? See, how this, would is, I, this is why I think dating should be blind. <laughs> This is why I hate the internet. Did I tell you recently, lately? Maybe, maybe Stevie Wonder I, should have a dating site. <laughs> is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. This is a whole other is episode of this show because I really believe. Okay. I, you know what? What? Maybe love should be blind. Love is blind. I've heard that expression. No, no. Before you meet the person, it should be blind. Uh, you shouldn't. I really feel. Yes. If you want to get to know someone, don't look at them. <laughs> <laughs> don't. Okay, okay, so on so, this edition of Done Being Single. Follow me here. I am following you. Before the internet, before Google, before dating apps. Which is how we met. You, we, I mean, no, 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 we eh, saw each okay. other. You, we didn't have the benefit of, of seeing each other. You're when right. someone said, I want to fix you up with someone, you had no clue what they looked like. And yet you went. You went anyway. Because you had it was a blind a ch- date. Because you had a chance to get to know them on the phone, and they probably won you over, and they were Some charming. Some people do not they, like blind dates. Everyone doesn't like a blind date, but you did it. Everybody did it. I did it. I didn't care. I never asked. Oh, are they good looking? What the hell? I don't care. You know, if they've if they're smart and funny, and they they're a good person, mm-hmm. and have some depths and depth, and mm-hmm. that. I mean, I don't know. You I'm do just know. not shallow. No, and I guess if you were fixed up on a blind date. You'd have a phone conversation first, and that is the indicator of whether you want to actually physically meet. Right, but that's that's and that that's where thing, the attraction that has to it happen. factor. 
That's mm-hmm. backable, babe. Okay. Want to get to it? Let's do it. Okay. We're going to introduce our guest. Excellent. Sunil Gupta is on the faculty at Harvard University, where he teaches students how to be backable using the seven steps inside this book. Sunil went from being the face of failure for the New York Times to being the new face of innovation for the New York Stock Exchange. It's easy for you to say. (laughs) His ideas have been backed by firms like Greylock and Google Ventures, and he has invested in startups including Airbnb, Calm, and SpaceX. Sunil also serves as an emissary for gross national happiness between the U.S. and the Kingdom of Bhutan. Sunil? Are we ready for Sunil to come in? You are soon-to-be dating expert. Sunil, welcome. Get used to it. (laughs) Bravo, Robbie. It's good to be here. Thank you. It's great to have you here. So, So you were listening in. I was. I'm sure you have thoughts, things you want to talk yeah. about here. Well, you know, I, I, you know this, this it quality that I've kind of been obsessed with for the past several years, I think you're right. It's, it's, not, just, it's not just in an investment room or in work. It's, it's, in, it's in relationships as well. And so I'm really excited about this conversation because there's so much of what I learned and I want to understand, okay, how do you, how do you actually put it into practice in the dating world too? But I, you know, the, the, what what really grabbed me about this concept was there do seem to be certain people who are really really good in a room. They they have this quality that inspires us, that makes us want to rally around their ideas. And I wanted to understand what what was that? What is that? And could it be could it be learned? And so I spent years embedding myself with just. What, who I thought were the most sort of extraordinary, some of the most extraordinary backable people from Oscar winning filmmakers to Michelin star chefs to founders of iconic companies. And what I found overwhelmingly is yes, there are certain people who just have it. They've, they've always had it, they were born with it. But way more often than not, I would rewind the tape on their lives and their careers, and I would realize that early on, they went through the same rejection and they were not as gifted at convincing people to believe in them. But there was a certain set of things that they did, a certain set of qualities that they were able to adopt. And the good news for, for I think, you know, any of us is that the vast majority of that can be learned. Okay. So where do we, how do we start? I guess you got to, you got to start by wanting to, right? By recognizing that, hey, I want that quality. You see it in someone yeah. else. You see that movie star thing or that magnetism or that Tony Robbins thing. And yeah. you go, I want to be that guy. Is that how it starts? I think so. I think it's with I think it's with wanting to usually it starts with change, wanting to change something. So that could be changing a career, it could be applying for a new job. It could simply be trying to lead something new within your company or deciding to run with your own idea. You know, I think the thing that we kind of all come to a realization of is that when we want to make a change like that, we don't do it alone. We need hiring managers. We need teams. We need people, even friends and family to, to believe in us. So how do we, how do we do that? The, the one thing that I, I, I think, um, I continue to come back to over and over again is that creativity and persuasion are two different things. 
but oftentimes we, we sort of treat them as one. You know, a great idea, you could have a great idea, you could have a great product, you could have a great vision and still be dismissed. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the idea wasn't great. You see this happen all the time. Right now, the story that I keep coming back to over and over again, given what's happening in the world, is, is the story of penicillin. You know, you had a, you had a physician in the, 19, in the 1920s who basically cracked the code, had, had the answer in his hand. And he went out and he pitched the idea, and people said, no, we don't, we don't think that's right. And if you unpack what happened, this physician, Dr. Alexander Fleming, he was a brilliant scientist but he was a notoriously bad communicator. And so it wasn't that he didn't have the, the right idea. He did, but he just wasn't able to communicate it well. And just think about that. I mean, penicillin to date has saved over 200 million lives. And it went 10 years without, without being acknowledged simply because he couldn't communicate it the right way. Fascinating. So Jonas Salk uh, obviously was a better communicator. Is that... Well, another another physician named Dr. Uh, Flory came along, Howard Flory, and said, "My gosh, you know, we need to we need to come up with an answer to this problem." And you know, I think that Dr. Fleming, who had written an article in this very obscure medical journal, he, he was like, "I think that he might have it." So he calls up Dr. Fleming and he says, "Hey, look, look, what's going on with this product?" And Fleming says, "Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of put it on a shelf. I haven't really touched it in a while." And so the two of them kind of came together and. Flory was, 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 you know, a more articulate communicator, took, took the idea out there and, and, you know, eventually rallied other scientists, rallied the pharmaceutical community, uh, you know, and, and retailers and eventually made it into something you could find at the local pharmacy. Fascinating. So in, in your journey and studies and research and observations, what does it take to stand out? Yeah. You know, one of the things that I, I, I'm thinking about right now a lot is is this idea of sharing an earned secret, sharing an earned secret. And what I mean by that is something that you have found through your own firsthand experience that you're bringing into a room. That could be for an interview for a job. It could be for pitching a new idea, but something that you've you've gotten through putting yourself into the content, putting yourself into the story, and discovering something that isn't really obvious. So I'll tell you a quick story. When I was um, when I was out by you, where you are, uh, I was I was interviewing and studying Brian Grazier, who is a Hollywood producer, filmmaker. He's won something like 130 Emmys and dozens of Oscars. And I'm sitting inside his waiting room in Beverly Hills, and there are all these people there that are, that are there to pitch him on ideas, pitch him on film ideas, television ideas, but he also invests in startups and he runs big teams. So some people were there to, to apply for a job. And I could just tell the, the, the meeting room, the waiting room was very nervous. The anxiety level was very high. And so when I walked back there to ask, I, I, you know, to, to, to do our meeting, I, I asked him one question. I said, hey, if I could go out there right now into the waiting room and I could give everyone one piece of advice, what would it be? And he thought about it for a moment and he said, give me something that I can't find on Google, at least easily. Give me something that is not easily Googleable." And I thought that was so interesting because as I continued to study more and more people who are these backers, who are making decisions, 
What I realized is that how you arrive on an idea can be as important as the idea itself. What did you do to get there? Did you, did you simply do some research behind a desk or did you kind of, did you talk to customers? Did you test drive the product? Did you go to meetings that maybe you weren't even invited to just to kind of listen in? Now, all that stuff tends to sort of bring the effort that you actually, that you were actually bringing to your idea. And what I, what I found is that, that people can be very intoxicated, not just by an idea, but they can be intoxicated by your effort as well. So, you know, I'll, I'll give you another example. I was, I was, I was talking to, a, uh, to someone who was applying for a job at a social media company. She's a mom and she's re-entering the workforce. And she was telling me how she was interviewing with a, with a company that, that she had never used the product before. It's very much like a Gen, Gen Z sort of product, but she was very interested in the job. And so what she did is she interviewed her daughter and all of her daughter's friends each one of them, and asked them what they liked about the product, what they didn't like about the product. And then she did something really clever. She had them send her screenshots from their phones of like these moments that really stood out to them from the experience. And now when she walks into the interview, she actually had this gallery of screenshots on her phone. And so she, this is all over Zoom, the interview, but she's like showing this, this, this you know, hiring manager all this research that she had collected he was so impressed that not only did she get the job, but right in the middle of the meeting, he brings in one of the UX researchers, one of the user experience researchers into the meeting on Zoom and is like, you have to check this out. So immediately she's adding value. She gets the job. And again, this is for a product that she, she hadn't used up until that point. But she went beyond Google. Yeah. She went beyond the obvious and discovered some of these insights herself. Was she charismatic? You know, n n not any more than 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 anyone else. You know, I, she did not get that job because of her charisma, and it and it's interesting that we, you know, when I when I started writing this book, charisma was something that I really started to pay attention to because I assumed that people who are backable have a certain communication style to them. They they use eye contact and they use hand gestures and they use pacing. That's what I thought would happen. But as I continued to unfold these stories, I realized that like that's not that's not the case at all. You have certain backable people who are extremely charismatic and gregarious and outgoing, but you have very backable people who are quiet and shy and introverted. I mean, just look. I mean, we'll take you know a couple of obvious examples are, are Elon Musk and, and even Steve Jobs. Elon Musk has been written up as a notoriously poor communicator. So that's like a simple one. But even look at Steve Jobs. We, 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 we sort of remember him as a very charismatic communicator. But go back and watch. You can watch this on YouTube. The original iPhone launch was in 2007. And you're not going to see sort of a Toastmasters, Dale Carnegie-esque presentation. No. He uses the word uh over 80 times in that, in that presentation. He kind of he kind of looks at his feet a lot. He kind of wanders around stage a little bit. It's just not it's not it's not like an extraordinarily charismatic presentation. Or, you know, another example. Go look up the number one TED Talk of all time right now, and what you'll find is a guy named Sir Ken Robinson, who gives us just an extraordinary talk on education. It's brilliant, but it is not a charismatic TED-like presentation. 
He sort of has a hand in his pocket. He has a bit of a slouch. He kind of is wandering in and out of script. It's very Unted-like. But you believe every word he is saying because what I have found is that it is not charisma that makes a person convincing. It's conviction. Backable people take the time to convince themselves first, and then they let that conviction shine in whatever style it is that feels most natural to them. This is, uh, yeah, it's See, so... I told you this was going to so, be good. It's so it's, telling. It's well, got uh, dating uh, all over it. <laughs> but it does. Okay, we're so gonna, I, we'll I, get there. Wait, okay, uh, go ahead. I have, well, no, I I have just, a burning question. Is it burning? I have a burning sensation. Then go ahead. I'm not burning it. Okay. So now I have a question for you. How much of it, percentage-wise, do you think, is it premise or personality? Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Premise of the idea versus the personality yes. in which you deliver it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it, I think it's both, but I would just say that, and, I, and I'll think about the percentages here, but I will say that instead of personality, I would still, again, replace that with conviction. Yeah. Conviction. It's, it's, it's premise and it's conviction. Yes. You know, because if you don't believe, they can't believe. And And it's unfortunate, again, because you do have brilliant people out there. And and I think sometimes it is a tendency, it's more sometimes a tendency for brilliant people to question their own ideas. To say, you know what, I I don't actually know if I'm onto something here. And unfortunately, that can be a liability. Because again, you're getting into a room and you're kind of like, huh, I'm not, you know, I don't quite know about this. But that thing may have been just fantastic. You know, one of the things that we found in, in, the, in, in, in our research is that if you look inside companies, I was really interested to find out how do, some, how do some people who are not decision makers within a company get their ideas made? How do they convince all the people around them? How do they convince the people who are, the, who are, who are above them to, to buy in? And what I found is that most ideas don't get killed inside the conference room. Most ideas actually get killed inside the hallways. And the reason for that is because we get excited about something and we, we immediately want to run to somebody and share it right away, right? And typically this is like a colleague rather than a decision maker. We're like, oh my God, you got you to hear this great idea I came up with last night. And what ends up happening in that moment, it's a very critical moment. It's a very fragile moment because new ideas are fragile and so are we when we share them. And if we don't get the reaction that we want in that moment, most of us tend to then take the idea and put it in a drawer mm-hmm. and, and just walk away, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, so it, it kind of comes back to this idea of conviction, right? You may have a, you may have a great premise for an idea, but if you don't have the conviction, right. if you kind of blurt it out okay, so before it's actually ready to be shared, it, my- can, it, can, it can dampen your spirit and kill an idea. In keeping with who I am, I can't help but think of the counter. So we're talking about Steve Jobs and his maybe slight lack of charisma, but he there's a wow factor to the product he was promoting, and he has credibility for having delivered so many items in the past. Yep. So you, it you overlook the us and you overlook the the presentation of it because you are a believer. That's right. The dark side is what we are experiencing right now when a backable person is believed by disciples 
and he could be for ill purpose. And to me, I can't help. I mean, we're looking at an impeachment trial going on right now of somebody that I think fits that type of mold. So remove what it is they are promoting and talk about that it factor, because unfortunately, Donald Trump has it to, for some people. And, you know, how, and it's used, I think, for less than good purposes. And these people are believers. They are disciples. They, it's, it's become cult-like, religious-like for them. And they have no ability to see outside of that tunnel right now. Yeah, yeah. What? There is, there is no doubt that, that there are backable people out there that are not putting it to good use, that are not putting it to the use of, you know, to a benefit to society. I mean, you know, we take a couple of, you know, examples, you named one, we'll take a couple of others. You know, one is, one is uh, what we saw with Theranos, you know, the, the billions of dollars, um, you know, of, of, you know, defraudment in, in that case. And, and, and part of it was because you had somebody who I think did have the conviction that we're talking about. Right. And, and the question that, that kind of remains, and it's tough to get into people's psyche is like how much of that conviction was real, mm -hmm. how much of it, how much of it really was, was based on her believing that, you know, she was onto something versus her convincing herself in some way that, right. that this was the right thing. Um, I've, 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 this is something that I, that I'm, I'm still fascinated by, but it, you know, again, I don't have a clear, don't have a clear answer on that part, but then take another example, the fire festival. Oh my gosh. Which, we just you know, watched like, the, the, we watched the documentary. documentary. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, 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 I mean, this is somebody who has, you know, Billy McFarland has very, very high conviction, yeah. very high conviction. And, and by the way, this is somebody who did not have a track record as an entrepreneur, you know, and in fact, the, the startup that he had done before that did not do well. So he kind of had one strike against him. And yet he was still able to convince people that, you know, they were, they were, this was worth investing in, that we were going to have white sand beaches, the biggest bands, we we're going to go to a remote location. And people, you know, really, really credible investors bought into the idea. So you have that on one side. Then you take the counterexamples. You, you take somebody like Bob Ebeling, for example. Bob Ebeling was an engineer at NASA uh, during the time that the Challenger went up. And a couple of nights before that, before the, the shuttle launch, he noticed that there was actually a problem. He noticed that the rubber, the rubber seals that, that were going into the engines were, were going to be under some really, really uh, bad weather conditions. And that could cause, uh, it, you know, it could cause something bad to happen. So he calls a meeting, he gets all of his colleagues in a room and he's like, Hey, here's the evidence. Here's what I have. And, uh, you know, puts out this very credible sort of presentation and they say, no. They say, no, we're going to continue. We're going to continue as goes. And 17 seconds into the launch, the shuttle explodes. And, uh, you know, Ebeling, you know, for a long time, NPR did an interview with him years after. And, you know, his, some of his final sort of thoughts was, hey, God chose the wrong person for that job. He shouldn't have chosen me mm -hmm. because I had all the data, but I couldn't convince them. I wasn't persuasive enough. That's guilt of a terrible wow. order that you carry around with you and it's it's not really well founded but it's also so uh, the pers the ability to persuade and I'll bring it back home a little bit the, the ability to persuade is so important because he felt he wasn't able to persuade his fellow engineers to cause it to 
have more testing before the launch, obviously. Uh, and now bringing it to dating, the act of persuasion causes some people to be enamored and fall in love. And then they realize, oh my God, who is this person? I made a mistake. I made a terrible mistake. And I followed my heart and I shouldn't have. And I, I, I yeah, we, we know people that have great game. <clears throat> and it is great. Game. I mean, wow. Winners, like just, they can get anybody. Boom. And, um, great opening, uh, yeah. great game, great moves, great banter, great first, second, maybe third date. Mm. And then something goes terribly wrong. We don't know. We're not the third heads on the pillow, as they say, but something happens. Mm -hmm. Something their authentic selves appear, or their insecurities come out, or they have what one of our favorite guests, um, uh, Gay Hendricks, if you know who he is, he's a he's a coach and personal sure. growth um, expert. He calls them alter, uh, ultimate upper limit problems. Upper, upper limit problems. Upper limit problems. Self-sabotaging. It is when you wow. achieve a level of success and you know, you're know you about to hit it big or you've hit, just hit it big and you're on top of the world and you got it and then you do something to fuck it all up. It's it's almost like the th Theranos that you were talking about earlier is that there had to be scientific data to back up what it was that she was promoting that caused VCs to get involved and all this money to, to come into the company. But after a while, it became... I mean, she believed it so much that she's probably looking around going, these people believe me? I, 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 even she probably didn't believe it as much as the people around her were wanting to believe it. So it's this false prophet kind of thing. that. Huh. And with, with upper limit, is it, is it that you are sabotaging yourself? Yes. Yes. Oh, you just somewhere deep inside you, you don't feel you're worthy or deserving, or there's been some mistake, or you feel that you're like a fraud, or something happens where, you know, or you're, you're just, you're deep, um, you know, whatever is that the shadow part, I'm going a little deep here, but the shadow figure comes out. And I think we all possess and they, a certain degree of this. And of course. And that's what Gay was talking about in, in his book. Yes, that we often cite um, Roseanne, um, she... Bar, Roseanne Barr, remember, she got a show. They, right at like the beginning of the Trump administration, because yep. she was a Trump supporter. And it was sort of this new and interesting take, and for especially for entertainment, because there are not a lot of openly open, you know, Trump supporters. So they gave her a show, and it was really huge at the time. This was a few years ago. And literally in the same moment she ABC gave her a show she went on Twitter and did some bad things and said some bad things that completely derailed her and they took the show away mm. so we know I mean everybody knows kind of something like that and I think it applies to dating as well I think people uh, somehow they go into it with a ton of confidence and then something happens where they don't, they lose belief in themselves or they fear rejection and then the, it, everything comes just crashing down. So when they fear the rejection, they kind of, they kind of beat, they kind of beat it to the punch. I'm going to, I'm going to sabotage this before I am sabotaged. Um, 
Yeah, well, there's that. They're the, the ones that kind of force you. They make it so untenable that you are you have no choice then to you know break up with them. before, Or they feel like, well, it's ha- going to happen anyway, so I'm going to protect myself and preemptively get and, myself out of this before I'm rejected. And I, and, I, yeah, and I think that the upper limit problems are something that you, you don't want that to be a pattern, an ongoing pattern in future relationships or whatever it is. So you keep hitting that same wall. You never get past it. And so it's to it's trying to expose what that is so you now figure out a way to not repeat that pattern, get around it somehow, jump over it, break through it, do something. And that's in relationships, that's in work, that's everywhere. Uh, so it's, it's really a valuable um, thing to be aware of. Yes. Well, as we always say, or as I do, dating to me is an exercise in self-worth. And I, I think most everything is in life, but really... Dating is so much about marketing and believing in your product, having conviction, having that sense of purpose and power to your purpose. And I and you know, hopefully you go into it and you keep that with you and you don't ever lose it. You don't ever lose faith in yourself or belief that, oh my God, oh my God, now what am I gonna do? This guy likes me, or this what if I mess it up, or what you know, this woman finds out about the real me. It's right. We're, I think. You, you, you know, it's it's funny. One of one of the things. So I, I think this is all fascinating. You know, I, I start when we started this conversation. I thought to myself, well, you know, we're going to end up having two different conversations here. One's going to be about this idea of investing, or you know, getting people to believe in your ideas, and then there's dating. But I do think that there's I do think there's so much overlap. Like right now, you know, what you were just talking about makes me think about in some ways about a concept in the book called steering into objections, right? And, and basically the premise is that when we're sharing an idea with someone, one of the things we try to do is we try to point out the positives when what we need to be doing also is neutralizing the negatives. We need to be putting them out there ourselves because we kind of know that that's something that's probably nagging at that person anyway. But oftentimes we don't do that. We just focus on the positives. But the, the problem with that is that, you know, the, the, as, as decision makers, as, as people, humans, just generally, we are, the, the, the fear of making a bad decision is twice as powerful as the pleasure of making the right decision. We're, we're terrified of being yeah. wrong. So what that means is that we need to not, we need, we need to talk about those negatives and make, make people comfortable with them. And that, that, you know, in the book, we talk about that as steering into the objections yourself. Um, and I wonder, I wonder in dating, like whether there's those, those, those things that are sort of left unsaid, but they're kind of, they're kind of nagging at both people that would just be better off if they steered directly into them. Have you, have you found that? Well, is that what are you referring to? Like full disclosure, Honesty. this is who I am. Uh, Authenticity. <clears throat> Yeah, you better know sooner than later. So I'm going to tell you, like, yeah, I believe I totally believe it. Within, well, what you have to, you can't unload it all, you know, on on the first date. But there's so much dishonesty in dating, especially in initial dating. There's people that are you're not your necessarily your authentic self. It's hard to people are not comfortable being who they know they are. When you meet somebody, you're going to put out a little bit of a but that's a good thing filter. 
That, that is a good... Well, you have to put your best face forward. You don't have to disclose everything, but I think it's important that you are honest, whether it's your age, your oh, weight, yes. things that are going to yes. put your profile out there and people are going to see. So how are they going to be... Are they attracted to your image of what you think you are or actually you? And so it starts at the beginning, I think. Okay, well, <clears throat> excuse me, um, everyone's flawed, Okay. Yeah, and you got you, you, You're making me think of an experiment. This is not in the book, but you're making me think of an experiment that that I read. It was run out of Dartmouth, and you know, I'll try to remember exactly the right the right way. But basically, what they did is they had uh, subjects in a room, and they put a fake scar on their head. Does this sound familiar already? Mm-mm. A guy named Dr. Robert Kleck, who who ran this experiment, they put a they put a fake, really really prominent scar on your on your face. And uh, and so you look at yourself in the mirror, and it's 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 not it's you know it's not a very attractive sort of blemish. But then in the last second before they let you go out and talk to somebody one on one, they bring the makeup artist back in to touch up the the scar, the artificial scar. But instead of touching it up, she actually wiped it off entirely. So now you think you have the scar on mm-hmm. your face, mm-hmm. but you don't. And so you walk into this room now and you interact with a stranger and then you come back and the research debriefs, researcher debriefs with you and says, hey, did they notice the scar? And everybody's like, absolutely. They noticed the scar. They couldn't stop staring at it. They, 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 you know, they, they, thought, they thought it was hideous, but they never had the scar on their face. And so it just makes me, it makes me think a lot about sort of the, the realities versus sort of these things that we hide. And it's very, it's very, very interesting. Well, I am one of these people that believes in total honesty. I mean, in in a way that that comes um, in, you know, paced with pacing. Can't like you know over time you just kind of peel the onion, peel the onion, and but ultimately you have to um, you kind of have to own your shit. You know, you have to be okay with your own flaws and your own stuff because if you're not okay with it. You're gonna ha- you're gonna be that guy with the scar uh, over his head and thinking, oh my gosh, you know, are, are people gonna like me? Are they gonna want to know me? Are they gonna want to swipe on me? Right. And so everybody's got something, and I think that um, the the more adept you are at um, disclosing it or sharing it without shame, is that's kind of attractive. It's I mean, I like someone with some stuff. I've always said that I like. No one's perfect. I don't want anybody perfect. Yeah. And it's not attainable. No, I want it someone that has something I could sink my teeth into. Hello. That has some t- <laughs> the total package. Hello package. Um the uh what was I saying? See, I get I start thinking she about gets, your package and I I Okay. <laughs> I forget what I'm saying. But you know what I'm saying. Yes. I do. You know one of the people that I interviewed for the book was the head of the MacArthur Genius Foundation, which you know awards a, a, a large grant to these genius fellows. And one of the things that he he said to me, which really stuck, was was that if you are already on a clear path to success, it might make you a weaker candidate for the grant. And I, I found that to be really confusing. Why? What he said was that you know we want to we want to influence someone's success. We don't want to make someone's success who's already inevitable be more inevitable. We want to actually have impact. 
and I think that just as human beings, that's how we, I think that's how we tend to behave. We want to, we want to know that we, that we mattered. We want to know that we, we had it, we made a difference. One of the effects that we talk about in the book studies that we point to is called the Ikea effect, which says that we value something that we build up to five times more than something that we simply buy off the shelf. There, there are a lot of people out there with poorly made for, furniture and futons that they'll never get rid of because they, they, they built it themselves. They, that's, that, that there's emotion packed into that. And so, you know, I, I think that that's something that relates at home. It's something that relates at work. When we're presenting and pitching ideas, oftentimes we feel like we want to come off as bulletproof. We have it all figured out. When in reality, sometimes the best, the best way to pull that person in is by sharing what it could be but not necessarily sharing how it has to be mm. so that you're working, you're working on it together. I mean, I'll tell you, you know, speaking of relationships in 2000, after, after the 2016 presidential election, I was living in San Francisco and I got really, I got, you know, really fired up about what was happening in the world. And I started to, I started to spend more time in my hometown in Michigan where I, where I am now. And I, I eventually became very interested in, in moving back home and running for public office. But my wife just was not was not thrilled with that idea. She didn't want to leave California. She, she didn't want to move to Michigan. She didn't want me to run for public office. I had, I had a lot going against me, against this plan. So what we did is we spent the next several months kind of just almost arguing and, 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 and debating. And, and, and what I realized is that I was trying to sell her a piece of furniture. And what we ultimately ended up with was a plan. And the plan was that we're going to move to Michigan. And, 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 and if I win my election, then obviously we're going to stay. But if I lose my election, then she gets the choice on the next location. No questions asked. Now, did that make her thrilled about the idea of moving to Michigan? No, it didn't. But at least she felt like she was part of the plan. She felt like we were building that piece of furniture together. How'd you do? I lost my election, but we're still in Michigan. And, still and, married? <laughs> still we, married. We, you know, I lose my election, and 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 you know, I I, I ask her a few weeks after. I'm like, all right, well, where's it going to be? And she's like, you know, I really like it here. We've got a great community, we've got great friends. I'm like, there's, Beautiful. I like it here. Right. Mm -hmm. so we've stayed. So you got your way. You you were able to <laughs> figure that out. You're very persuasive. Good job. <laughs> So I have a question. You were talking about communication skills being really part of the mix and the formula. And I want to know how our listeners can improve their communication skills and their ability to, I guess, their intimacy skills, too. Not necessarily in the bed, but in the sack. I mean, not that kind of intimacy. But yes, that intimacy. Sure, why not? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I, you can fill in the blanks, but, but, right. I, but, I, but you know, one, one thing I was thinking about right from the beginning of, of, this, of this interview is that I was looking at some research from Esther Perel while I was writing this book. And one of the things that, you know, Esther Perel says about relationships and love is that oftentimes we put the burden on one person to be everything for us. We want them to, you know, be our lover, be our friend, be our, uh, you know, partner. We want, we want, we expect them to be all things to us. And when, when, when they, 
when they're not all things to us, when they don't deliver on all fronts, we sort of blame them. And the reason I bring this up is because I think we treat mentorship very much the same way. We're kind of looking for that mythical mentor in our lives who can be everything for us. But when I was looking at backable people and studying the way they behave and the way they become really great at communication as well, is that they tend to surround themselves with a circle of people who all play different roles. And I've come to know these different roles as the four C's. I call them the four C's. So the first C is your collaborator. This is somebody who, when you're with them, you kind of almost feel like you're in a musical jam session with them. Like they're always building on top of your ideas. They're using language like yes and. They're your collaborator. The second is your coach. And your coach is different than your collaborator because while your collaborator is focused on whether your idea is going to fit the audience or fit the market, your coach is really figured on, is this idea really going to fit you? Like, is this good for you? Because there are plenty of ideas out there that are great that are just aren't a fit for you. You're not going to get excited about them. They don't necessarily make you come alive. So that's your coach. The third is your cheerleader. And your cheerleader, I mean, self-explanatory, this is somebody who's just going to who's gonna build you up. Like they're always going to be there for you to give you that last boost of confidence. And it might sound cheesy, but we, we all need this person in our lives. I remember uh, interviewing and talking to um, Ellen Levy, who Fast Company Magazine named the most connected woman in Silicon Valley. So she's got members of Congress and Fortune 500 CEOs in her Rolodex. And I asked her, who do you talk to before you go into a big meeting, big moment? And she's like, that's simple. I call my mom. So we, that's the cheerleader. We all need the cheerleader. The fourth C I think is the most interesting. It's, it's the one that's probably the least appreciated. And that's your critic. And I call this person your cheddar. Because if you've ever seen the movie Eight Mile, you know, and I love Eight Mile because you know, I'm speaking to you right from outside of Detroit. Mm-hmm. You know, in the movie, Eminem is surrounded by a group of friends that are constantly building him up. But there's one friend who is always kind of bringing him down a little bit, who's always kind of poking holes in his ideas. And that friend's name is Cheddar. And what we find throughout the film is that Cheddar is the one that really turns Eminem into who he is. He's the one who really gets him ready to be on stage. And I think we all need that cheddar in our lives. But the thing is that oftentimes we'll push cheddar out of our lives, right? Because it's annoying. You don't want somebody who's poking holes in your ideas. But what I have found is that we, we, we need this person in order to get ready for these big moments, right? If, they're not, if you don't have somebody who's, gonna, who's looking out for your best interests, has their heart in the right place, but is also going to point out your blind spots, the things you're not paying attention to, so, so that you don't get caught flat-footed yeah. In these in these moments, so the, the 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 point is that we have this we have this it's it's not just one person it's not a mythical mentor it's a circle of people not I'll give you the the punchline of all of this is that what backable people do is they tend to play exhibition matches with their circle so lots and lots of low stakes practice sessions before they get into that big moment lots and lots of practice sessions and I ask them. You know, how many of these practice sessions do you play? How many of these exhibition matches do you play? The average backable person was about 21 times, 21 practice sessions. And I thought to myself, that seems like 
overkill. Like, and, and not only does it seem like overkill, but it also seems like if I practice something 21 times, I'm going to come off sounding robotic and not natural inside the room. That's what I thought. But I put this to practice myself and I watched it unfold many, many times. And what I found is that being that practiced, at least being that comfortable with the material, makes you more natural and not less. And here's why. Because when you have such a mastery and comfort with your material, you're no longer thinking about like, okay, I'm going to say this and then I'm going to say that and I'm going to say that. You don't have this outline in your head anymore. You can be fully present with the people who are in the room. And that's when you can start to really turn it from a monologue into a real conversation. You can start to notice their nonverbal cues. You can start to react and adapt to things that will inevitably come up. You know, the projector goes out or we lose connection because we freeze up or whatever it is. Like you're going to be able to roll with those punches in a way that you wouldn't be able to if you didn't have the mastery of the material. So it's, it may sound like a pretty anticlimactic answer, but practice has become mm-hmm. such a big part mm-hmm. of, of that communication skill that I think we all want to build. Sure. It makes perfect sense. I mean, 21 <clears throat> exhibition matches, you, you get different things thrust at you and you have to be able to deal with them. You, there's always options and, you, and, and to be able to deal with them on a moment's notice is so important because we are confronted with that daily and we, we don't get ex- exhibition matches in real life. We have to deal with things that we are confronted with on a moment's notice, it just happens. Yes. Whether it's driving or yeah, encountering yeah. somebody at a market, that you know, whatever it is. So, right. um, I think it's only helpful. That's why you got to keep dating. You got to keep getting back on the horse, well, I, even I, after your your rejections and disappointments. You just got to, you know, it's a numbers game. I have a question for you, Sunil. Is, is it possible for two it people to be compatible to each other? <laughs> Think I, I, I don't see any reason why not. Right, right. why not? You know. Hmm, let me think about that. Yeah. I think we're doing pretty good. Well, I'm yeah. it. You're <laughs> no, it. No, no. Points, we're winners. Yes. No, I think we, I think we are. I just you know, just no. I I have a question about closing. Closers, how do you do mm. it? Mm. Yeah, you know. One of the things that I came up with, or you know, I I to sort of discover the hard way, is that oftentimes closing can happen even after you get a no, right? And you know, I'm talking I'm talking purely right now in, in, in the form of, of of you know getting investment or getting the job, but we'll we'll talk about how this might apply to relationships as well. But you know, I I pitched my idea for my company to every investor I could. And every single one of them said no. And what, you know, at one point in time, I was, I was talking to someone who I think is a very backable person. And the question that he asked me was, why did they pass? Why did they say no? And it occurred to me that I didn't really know the answer to that question. Because people would say, you know, I'm sorry, no, it's not just for us. And I'd be like, okay, I'll move on. I never went back and asked them, hey, why? Why is that? So I did. And what I did is I, 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 I emailed every single one of them. I said, hey, would you be willing to just jump on the phone with me for like a few minutes? I'm not going to try to convince you differently. You've made up your mind. But I would love to just get your feedback. And not all of them said yes, but, but most of them did. 
And so when I got on the phone with them, I said, hey, you know, just out of curiosity, like, what would it have taken for, for you to have said yes? And what I realized in that, in that conversation was, in those set of conversations, is that what I thought the reason was ended up being something completely different. I mean, it was, it was, I thought it was because I didn't have enough customers using my product. They were not interested in that. They were interested in whether the customers who are on my product were going to last. Were they going to stick around? Or were they going to churn out? And two completely different problems. And just by going through that insight, and just by going through that round of conversations, I, st- I probably saved. I probably saved my company because I ended up working on the right problem. I would have worked on a problem that didn't matter as much. I ended up working on the right problem. But the kicker is that I then went back to all of those people after the fact, months later, and said, "Thank you for the advice." we put that into motion and here's now how those numbers look and two of the investors who had originally said no changed their mind because of that and said yes and became two of my lead that's, investors. oh my gosh that's great i uh, am I, nodding well okay so do you that, see me nodding yes but I'm, I'm, yes I, I couldn't help but relate that to something that we talked about a couple of years ago on our show about a post-dating questionnaire to hand an off to somebody review. the exit review with your with somebody you just broke up with or somebody that gets you broke up with you. <laughs> oh, the exit interview. Yeah, exit, we want an exit review. We want to written down. You know what could I have done differently that would have helped? I'm not looking to get back with you, but at the same time, I want to know how I can improve for the next person I encounter. You know, I think it's a great thing that could be you know established. Yeah, and I. So it's, it reminds me of something like that. But congratulations. I'm, not, I'm nodding because first of all, you have balls to do that. Secondly, I'm Great. a big fan of feedback. And yeah. but I I had a client the other day ask me um I guess she had I don't know, had a handful of dates with a guy and it didn't it ended up not happening and she said I I need closure. I don't I and I feel should I ask him? And I said no. Do not ask him. You 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 know what sometimes in life you don't get your closure. You don't get your answers. Hmm. And I felt sort of strongly about this because I didn't want her coming off looking like weak and needy. Like, tell me what I did wrong. I just, so I, I advise her not to do that. But but otherwise, I, I'm a big fan of feedback. I think it's great. I think we don't learn unless we know. And it goes back to the four C's, the critic. Yeah. The critic. and Or the, the, um, the collaborator who is otherwise known as your wingman maybe, right? Yeah, yeah. They, you depend on those good people, those good friends in your life, to tell you the truth. And you know, I, I, but I, you said that it's not usually one person that is the, possesses those four C's, and I think that you and I have that for each other. We do that all the time. We possess all four of those C's. I could think of another C sometimes, but, uh, but anyways, no. Uh, <laughs> but the, for both of us. So um, no, but I think that's really an important part of the of a partnership is to be able to possess those four C's with a partner. You need to be that person's cheerleader. You need to be that collaborator. You need to be that critic. Yes. You, you yes. need to be that coach. Yes. So um, is that is that inconceivable or is that? I think you can be. I think you can be all things. You know, I, I think that it's important to kind of tell that person what you need in that moment. You know, like if, you, if you're not looking for a cheerleader in that moment, you're actually looking for constructive feedback and you want, you want 
then then say, look, I'm not looking for a cheerleader right now. On the other hand, maybe you are. You, you actually you actually are looking for a cheerleader. And like, you know, there there are times before you know my wife my wife is a journalist and you know she's about to go into like a big sort of pitch meeting with with her staff. She's and she'll say to me like, don't poke holes in this idea right now because when I'm I'm about to share it with you, but I'm about to go into the meeting in moments. So if you're about to poke holes in my idea, it's not going to be helpful. What I need right now is a cheerleader, and I'm like, this all right, is, we great. We, listen to the idea, and so I think it's very, I think it's, it's upon us to be clear with the person of which role you're looking for them to play, which hat do you want them to wear. This is very helpful because I think that I come across as a critic sometimes when Trevor does not want me to be a critic, yeah, and she wants me to be a silent listener. That's not a C though, <laughs> hmm. but we'll have to figure that one out. So, uh, but I think. If you say I need a I need a coach or I need a collaborator here, not a critic. Oh yeah, no, no. Or, so I think it's no, really not, helpful. I so I, feel I, free to. I welcome your use. input. Mm-hmm. I just think that sometimes when it just there's a time for everything. It's timing, you Got know, it. and that sometimes the the occasion calls for it. And yes. there are other times I want I want your your expertise. And there's other times, there she times wants I just tape want you to, on my mouth to shut up and hold yes. my hand. Yes, like now. Like right now. I love it. <laughs> uh, Sunil, this has been incredible, and we could go on for like a couple of hours, but we want you to be able to promote something. So tell us where we can find you and what you got going. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Appreciate that. Um, well, so you can go to Backable. You can go to Backable.com, B-A-C-K-A-B-L-E.com, and you'll see all the information about the book and, and some extra content out there. And, um, you know, I'd love to hear from you as well. Um, I, I want to share. I want to share one. It's okay sure, if I share one last thing because I just thought of it. Because you know, it, it's so related. I think to probably dating and relationships, which is that, you know, when I I ended up selling my my company, but it wasn't it wasn't like a home run. It was it was fine. And I remember signing the paperwork for the deal with mixed feelings, because I felt like you know as as an entrepreneur, I felt like we could have been more. I, I felt like it could have been it could have been bigger and it could have affected more people. But a few months later, after the deal was done, I was sitting in the audience at a, at a, um, at another, it was a healthcare sort of conference. And there was a founder up on stage who was, who was, you know, being, he was talking about his new healthcare company, new mental healthcare company, which was just doing incredibly well. And, uh, and I had that sort of like little bit of like pang of, of, of envy, I kind of wanted to be that person who was up on stage, but instead I was sitting in the audience. But during Q&A, someone asked him, uh, you know, how did you get inspired to, to start the company? And he said, you know, one of the companies that had, had inspired him was Rise, the company that I started. Now, he didn't know that I was in the audience. He didn't know. But what that experience sort of taught me is that you know, even when we don't reach our intended destination, we still touch and teach people along the way. Yeah. And I think that's probably true with relationships as well, right? Sure. And dating, right? Even if it doesn't land exactly the oh way gosh, that we yes. intended it to land, you have an amazing impact on someone's life. That's probably going to be for memorable. sure. Absolutely. That, we I we mean, hear we, about that. We, we're, I don't know how much you know of our story, but we're late bloomers. We got married at 51 and 57. Yeah. And we had a life before that. And we had a gazillions of relationships and dates and, you know, all kinds of stuff along the way. And they all, to, in my opinion, it advanced me along my path. 
because of the rejections and the fails and the, you know, the one hit wonders or whatever, they all kind of got us to this point. I believe in that. I don't at, at all. Yeah. I think I thank all those people. So you're saying every, I curse every, them and then I thank them. No. Everything counts. Everything counts. Yes. Okay. This has been this great. Has been wonderful. Yes, Sunil. Thank you so much. It's thank really you. great. You are backable, babe. Oh, I feel the same way. You about really you are. Too. You really are. So are you, baby. You are a oh, winner. Yeah. You got that thing. I got the thing. You you're, got that. You're, you're backable too. Hey? You got that. Back. That it factor. Thanks. Yeah. I have a zit factor too, right here. Yeah, I'm looking right at no, it. No, I'm kidding. Um, but, um, you're like the guy in the, the experiment with the scar. I'm okay, not looking at your zit. <laughs> I'm not looking at your zit. No. I'm not looking at your zit. Okay. That is so great. we can be found at dunbeansingle.com. If you want to write to us, talk to us, work with us, we are at Treva and Swear Robbie. At us. If you want to curse, Feel complain. Uh, we have a yes. complaint department. His name is Robbie Sharp. Um, Treva and Robbie at dunbeansingle.com. Is that it? That is it. And then you can find me yes. and learn all about my coaching services at trevabrandonsharp.com. Excellent. Sunil, wonderful. Really great to meet you and uh, hope to be in touch with you again in the future. Likewise. Thanks so Congrats. much for having me on. Absolutely. Uh, Stay safe, everybody. All right, we'll see you. I'm Shadow Stevens with my friends Trevor and Robbie. See you next week on Done Being Single.